0: Good morning, all. Welcome and worship here as we gather. We know those are uh, not only online, but those in the space here as we come together. I want us to turn to the text for the day. If you have the Bibles in front of you or if you're online, we're going to John chapter 1, verse 43. And again, if you're online, we're going through the New Revised Standard Version, which is the translation that we have in this room and the sanctuary with me. And as we turn to John 1, 43, it's on page 863 in your Red Pew Bible to get there more quickly. But just to set this up as we're getting here, we're in the middle of a series called Sitting with the Tough Questions. And as a church, we want to wrestle with some of the tough questions that we have, questions actually that you asked about three months ago. I gave us an opportunity to simply write down any question. If you had any question, you could ask God, what would it be? And you didn't write down superficial questions. You wrote down very profound questions. Questions that actually demand more than a quick, easy, pat answer. Questions that demand presence. And to sit with and to sit among some of the tough questions that we have. And so if you were not with us last week, I encourage you to go online, go to our website or even on iTunes. And we wrestled with the question, God, why have you abandoned me? That's a difficult question. One that perhaps can cause us to be uncomfortable, even to sit among us. And so as we turn to this text, will quickly see in some ways that Jesus doesn't even allow Himself to be the quick, easy answer. You know, as a kid when I went to youth group and as I was around Christians, there was like this inside joke among Christians that that I found odd at first, but I found myself actually Joining in the joke and just kind of perpetuating it, it's simply this that, you know, whenever there was a question that was asked in church and nobody knew the answer, people would just say, Jesus! (laughs) You know, and the Christians laughed in the room or the ones that are in that deep, entrenched Christian culture because sometimes we think that, oh yeah, Jesus is just the answer to everything. And in some ways that's true, but Jesus himself says, no, no, hold on. I'm not just a quick, easy answer. I'm not just a commodity for you to have to make your life better. I'm actually much more than that. Will you be willing to sit with me and not blow by me, Jesus says. Let's take a look at this passage. This is John 1, verse 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who about Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said of him, here is truly an Israel in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you. Under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe? Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This, my friends, is God's Word. So before we get into this text, it's important to know the context in which John wrote this into. This is the first century. At that point in human history, you had the East and all the philosophical, mysterious viewpoints of the East merging with the philosophical viewpoints of the West. And in many ways, the Hebrew worldview says that, yes, we believe in God, and yes, it's mysterious, but actually that that affects every area of our life, that affects how we live, the things that we say, how we love. In many ways, the worldview from a Hebrew point of view, an Eastern point of view at that time, played out in your life. It had a lot to do with what you did in life. It wasn't just to know God, but to seriously live it out. And from a very Western worldview, the Greeks talked so much about what's the right viewpoint? What's, What's the correct philosophy? How do we know beauty? How do we know truth? How do we know love? What is, what is virtue? And at that point in the Western Greek worldview, there was this word that was introduced. It was the word logos. And this word from a Greek worldview literally was the word that they used to describe the, the greatest sense of truth, the greatest rationale, the greatest phil- philosophy to understand all that there was. It was a principle that helped you understand how to, to achieve enlightenment, to, to Achieve fullness, to achieve beauty, to achieve truth. In many ways, it was a shoulder-up way of viewing the world. If you had the right thinking, you know, I think, therefore I am, you could experience the fullness of life. And so as those two things came together, the principles or what you did for how you lived, John writes into that world, into that culture in the first century and says that in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And that Logos came to us. You see, as John writes to this Greek world and this Hebrew world, this mashup of all these cultures coming together, he reminds us that the answer to all things isn't a principle. It's not a way to live, but it's actually a person. And then we see that played out in reality. And we see this passage right here that Jesus very quickly says I'm not just a quick, easy answer. Let's take a look at what happens here. So, we read this before. You heard this before. There's this moment in which we see very quickly that Philip asks a friend, Nathaniel, to come and to see Jesus. He says, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote about. And many of us, we come to this place, and we bring our own journeys. We bring our own searching. Some of us want to know how to maximize, you know, our pr- productivity. We want to maximize our relationships. And as human beings, it's important for us to acknowledge and to recognize that every single one of us is searching, is longing for something more. None of us is completely satisfied. And so the way that we look for those things, we look everywhere. We look through authors and we look through people. We look through the Internet. We look through worldviews. And in Jesus, we find the fullness of all the things that we long for. Yet at the same time, Jesus says, I'm not just a quick easy answer. There's this fascinating moment in which we see very quickly that Nathanael is very much like us. You see people in Jerusalem looked down on people from Galilee, but people from Galilee looked on down on people from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And I love the fact that this is included in scripture. You know, scripture is breathed by God. All of it is included. Yes, written by human hands, but God allows all of it to be written. And so God allows Nathanael to say and to be recorded and for us thousands of years later to talk about how the fact that he, he was like a cultural snob. Can anything good come from Nazareth? We do that all the time, don't we? we maybe we don't say it out loud. Maybe we don't say it publicly. But maybe to ourselves we say, oh, they live off the hill. Oh, they live on the other side, the north side of the boulevard. <laughs> they're on the other side of the freeway. Oh, they're adjacent. <laughs> we, we do this, don't we? And I love the fact that we have in Scripture here so many people to relate to and yet he was open and he was searching he says there's no there's no way there's no way something good can come from Nazareth and I love the fact that Philip says this come and see come and see and perhaps some of you are here today because somebody in your life maybe a friend or a family member or maybe it's a relative or or something in your life to come and see. And maybe you're here and you're much like Nathaniel saying, can anything good come from a church? Can anything true, can anything right, can anything beautiful in this day and age in 2015, can anything actually be transformative that comes from Christianity? You know, it's hard for a pastor to fly on an airplane because there's that moment after a great conversation usually lasts about 30 minutes, you know, the the boarding, the sitting down, the, you know, put on the seatbelt, you know, the about to take off. I always, on an airplane, I have great conversations until they ask me the question, so what do you do? (laughs) I'm I'm a pastor. Oh, you're one of those. (laughs) Now, they never say that verbally, but when they put on the headphones and grab their book and turn like this, they're, that's what they're saying. And so some of you here today are, are just here perhaps because somebody asked you to come or because you're, you're hoping to meet someone, but, but maybe deep down, I, I want to just put out on the surface that you're in good company when you have somebody in Scripture say, can anything, can anything good come from, from Nazareth? You see, what God constantly does throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of this universe is absolutely surprise us. In 1 Corinthians 1.28, it says that God chooses the lowly things, the despised things, the rejected things, the things on the margins of society to be used for His glorious purposes so that nobody can boast. There was this great moment a couple weeks ago where somebody in service literally stood up just praising God. Now, we know this person. Her name's is Soraya. We love Soraya. But man, she has gone through the ringer. As of late, in many ways, culture will look at her and the things that she's gone through recently, and they would say, Wow, man, that's tough. Man, the things that you're going through, I, I just can't even imagine. And yet, there was this very profound moment in worship where Kendall, our, our leader of contemporary worship, told me afterwards that she was led in worship by Sariah. And Kennel told me afterwards that Soraya stood up, put her hands out just praising God. And Kennel said, if she's going to stand up and if she's going to praise God with that much energy and enthusiasm, then I'm following her. You see, the way humans view the world is this. It's a top-down, center-out value system. We believe the top of organizations The top of nonprofits, the top of churches, the top of society, those are the people that have value, those are the people that matter, those are the people that have the answers, those are the ones worth following. And it trickles down. We also believe the center out, the center of society. When you look at Los Angeles, when you look at New York, when you look at these places that are the center of the cultural things that explode throughout the world, we often look to the center to look for what's next. We look for the innovations in the centers of society. We don't go to Barstow. (laughs) And yet God completely turns that upside down and looks for the people on the margins, looks for the people that the world would overlook and says, I want to start there. And so we want to be a church, whether you feel like you're on the center or you're on the margin, every single one of us is an indispensable part to what God wants to do through this church. And so whether you're the top of your organization or you're unemployed, God wants to use you in tremendous ways, not only in this world, but within this church family. Come and see. So some of you are here because perhaps somebody said come and see, but perhaps some of you need that boldness that Philip had to go to people in your life. That you unashamedly would say, come and see, come and see what Jesus is doing in my life. Come and see what Jesus is doing through my church life. Come and see. Yeah, you you make fun of it at work. Yeah, you send those emails. Yeah, you know, I know, I know I'm the butt of all your jokes when I'm not around, but come and see. We need to have that boldness of Philip. You know, there was this moment, uh, boy, about 10 years ago where I was looking for a new car. And I had never owned a brand new car, I had an 84 Volvo that was nowhere close to new, and I had saved up some money after college and I thought, oh, I'm going I'm to buy a new car. And so I looked at all, you know, the, the, the Audis and the, the BMWs and the Mercedes, quickly realized I could not afford any of those new cars, let alone a used car of any of those. And so somebody said to me, hey, why don't you look at a Mazda? And I said, a Mazda? <laughs> And see, this is before the whole like Zoom Zoom ad campaign before we bought into this, right? So this is before all that, early 2000s. It was like a Mazda Protégé 5 I found. Somebody's like, just, 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 just check it out. They're really lightweight. They've got tons of horsepower, and especially if you can find one that, that, that is a manual transmission. I'm telling you, they're fun to drive, somebody told me. I'm like, a Mazda from Nazareth, right? <laughs> totally blew it off, right? Totally blew it off. But then I started looking at it. The person didn't say, come and see, but I, I went and I saw and I took a look at, you know, I was looking on the internet, I was researching and I, I ended up going to this thing and I actually my mom and I went down there, it was down in Glendale and, and uh, we were there and all of a sudden I, I completely bought in. I, I, I mean, I saw it and this was phenomenal and I'm like, okay, this is it. So I also did the negotiation and just like that I went from a Mazda to all of a sudden I'm now the owner. I said, yes. I said, yes to Mazda, I'm an owner now, right? So they hand me the keys, and the negotiation had gone a while, and it was now dark out, and it actually was pouring rain. And my mom had to slip away to something, and so now here I am, a proud owner of a Mazda. I'm a Mazda owner, and I thought, this is going to be great. This is going to be phenomenal. I can't wait. And so they hand me the keys, and I walk out, and they had actually pulled it around out front. And it wasn't in the lot. It was out front. And actually at this dealership, it was a massive thoroughfare. It's like two lanes, three lanes either way, a lot of cars flying by, tons of rain coming down. The problem with this car which you'll find out in a moment, the reason why. It was simply parked, you know, like any car would, not parallel parked, but pulled into like a perpendicular parking spot, nose in. And it was such a big street that, you know, they build it for drainage, you know, city planners do, where there's kind of a slope down to the curb, so that when rain comes in, as it was happening in that moment, it would rush to the curb and then go down, and eventually down the storm drain. So these guys give me the keys, and I go out there, and I run out, and I get in the car, and I get in, I put it in, I get my foot on the brake, and... I have no idea how to drive a stick. (laughs) And uh, I mean, it was great customer service, right? The whole team, they're like out there and they're like, yeah, right? And I'm like, dear God, I don't know how to drive a stick. This is so embarrassing. So what I do, I do what anybody would do, right? This is your pastor here. I pull out my phone. I don't dial anything. And I go, hello? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. "Yeah." Are they going to leave? Okay, uh-huh. I'm not talking to anybody. I, I'm faking a phone call. I, did, I could have easily called somebody. I'm just like, will they please? Uh-huh, yeah. So I'm just talking. And they're like looking. They're like, yeah, you know. And their energy starts to drop down. And one guy, I'm like on the phone, I come out, knocks on the door. I'm like, hold on. As i like, I'm really talking to somebody. Hold on. Roll down the window. Yes? Is everything okay? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm talking to a friend. We're just—we're um, trying to figure out where we're gonna meet. I just want to show him the new car. Oh, uh, uh, this might take a while. I'll just go inside. It's totally fine. Okay, roll up the window, go back in. Anyway, so I'm not talking to anybody, right? I'm totally blowing them off. So they finally go inside, and then all of a sudden, here I am. Yes, I went from blowing off Mazdas to now the proud owner of a Mazda, but I had no idea what I was doing. And here I am. And long story short, finally figured out that. You know, the whole thing. Oh, yeah, there's three pedals, the whole thing. I had driven stick before, but I I did not know how to drive a stick. And I limped out of there. I I tried to get home. I I, I mean, I stalled a dozen times. I peeled out more. It's more fun to peel out than to stall, I learned. And so I was like, you know, the clutch and the, you know, starting to go. And, yes, I went from a complete turn, from blowing off a Mazda to being a Mazda owner. But there was this journey ahead that over the next seven years of owning that car, and it really was just simply sitting in that car, spending the time in that car, the nuances of that car, actually inviting other people, not only who knew how to drive stick, to sit in the seat next to me to tell me what I was doing, but also sometimes to have them go in the driver's seat to show me how to do all of it. There came to be this place and time where I began to experience so much more of what I experienced right then and there, the fullness of that Mazda. I mean, it was phenomenal. Driving Decker Canyon, any of you know this? It's over near Thousand Oaks, Westlake Village. There's hairpin turns everywhere. I see Buck Ray, he knows that road because he can drive a stick. And so there was these things that I learned how to do where I would go and I would like feather the clutch and I'd I'd like, I, I couldn't drift. I still want to. I still wanted to be able to do that. But I learned from this one guy to like put my heel on the brake and my toes on the. Uh, some of you know what I'm doing, right? Yeah, you heel on the brake and the toes on the gas, and I am just like driving this car. And there was this one moment I was with a friend. The windows were down. We're going to the beach, and I was like, "Now this is driving." And it took so much time to get to that place of me actually just sitting in that car. And yes, on paper, I was an owner of that Mazda the moment I signed on the dotted line. Yes, it was true that as soon as I sat in that car, I was the owner of that car, that I had a relationship with that car, but I hadn't fully experienced the fullness of what that car was. And we see here a Nathaniel who at first blows off Jesus. Can anything good come from Nazareth? But then he does a complete 180. In an instant, Jesus responds to him in a way that causes him to say, truly, you are the Son of God. You are, the, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus says, hold on. You just believe because I saw you under a fig tree. But I, I, I tell you, you're going you're gonna to see so much more than that. You're going to experience so much more than that. I know that there's some people here today that perhaps walked into this place or online, they're saying, can anything good come from Jesus, from Nazareth, from Christianity, from a church? Come and see. And there's some who quickly said yes to Jesus at some point in their life. Maybe it was Easter this year, maybe it was at junior high, but it was just a quick, easy answer, and you're sitting in that car, and you're in the parking spot, and there's been rains and storms in your life and you have no idea how to put it into gear, let alone experience the fullness of living a vibrant and dynamic relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says to Nathaniel, don't just come and see, but come and follow. You're going to see, you're going to experience so much more than you ever dreamed of. And there's this amazing truth that when I sat in that Mazda, I had no idea what was right there at my fingertips and I'm so glad I didn't just settle in that moment and just say oh this isn't for me I don't really understand it walk back in and say can I, just, can I have an automatic because some of us have said yes to Jesus but we don't really know how to experience the fullness of that and maybe we said yes at some point but we said no, no, no I, I don't understand this and we've walked away and we're looking for the easy thing the next thing the greatest thing and Jesus says no 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 I'm right here but not the quick, easy answer. I want you to sit with me for a while. In that moment, Nathaniel makes a choice, not just to come and see Jesus, but we quickly learn that he is one of the first disciples of Jesus, and he follows him. He gives his life, and he follows him, and he begins to see the fullness of who Jesus is. A quick little ending to this. Jesus says to Nathanael, you will see greater things than that. In fact, you'll see. Angels descending, ascending on top of the Son of Man. What's, what's, what's that all about? You see, Jesus reaches into Nathaniel's cultural understanding, cultural history, and pulls out this story from the Old Testament and applies it to Himself. You see, in the Old Testament, there's the story of Jacob whose name later becomes Israel, the, the, the father of the, the nation of Israel. The 12 tribes, and there's this moment where Jacob, before he becomes Israel, falls asleep and has this vision, has this dream of this ladder ascending all the way to heaven. And there's angels going up and down. How do they… How how do you make sense of that? Well, always in Scripture, angels meant the presence of God. And there was this snapshot in the Old Testament, this imagery of somehow a bridge, a ladder, something that connected you to, to the divine. That connected you to the answers, that connected you to beauty and truth and everything that we could not grasp on our own. And it didn't make sense. And Jesus says, You're actually going to see all of that descending upon the Son of Man. There's no way in that moment Nathaniel meant or even understood the fullness of what Jesus said. Yet he followed. And there's things that Jesus says to you in scripture, we say, I don't I don't even what does this mean? And Jesus says, just sit with me for a while. Just sit with it for a while. And the longer Nathaniel sat with that truth, as those years went by, as he saw Jesus go to the cross, as he saw Jesus defeat death and rise from the grave, he, he began to learn and to understand as he sat with Jesus for all these years. I imagine there was that moment where there was that aha moment where he realized that this bridge, this, this ladder to heaven that gets us into the presence of God isn't a thing. It's not a thought. It's not a practice. It's not what you have to do. It's a person. And it's that same Jesus I first blew off and then first accepted even though I didn't know the fullness of who he was. You see, Jesus is not only the Logos, he is our prince of peace. He is the source of our ultimate joy. He is the one that you've been looking for your entire life. Would you be willing just to, just to sit with Him for a while? I had a class in seminary where the teacher assigned us one verse and said, we want to give you 30 minutes to write down all the things that you can kind of see in this verse. And somebody raised their hand and they said, 30 minutes. It's, it's just one verse. And the teacher said, 30 minutes. Just, just write down all the things that you see. And a group of us began writing things down. This one verse was a very short, I don't even remember what the verse was, but it was so short. We started writing things down. After three minutes, I was like, okay, God, this is done. And I'm just sitting one of the clock, 27 minutes to go. I'm writing more, writing more, waiting. And then I really just began to sit in just that one verse. And I actually begin to pray about it. God, would you help me understand this? And I sat with it longer, and I began to chew on it more. And I began writing down more. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, wow. That's, that's like that one verse. And I, and I went back to, like, the Psalms or something. And I began to write down more. And all of a sudden, it felt like the floodgates began to open up. And all of a sudden, I had this full page and then the back page. And then immediately, the the teacher said, okay, time's up. And I said, that that, that flew by. Then the teacher said, okay, show of hands, how many of you got everything done in the first five minutes? No hands. How many of you got everything done in 10 minutes? No hands. How many of you got everything done in the first 25 minutes? No hands. Then they asked this question. They said, how many of you found the most profound things in the last minute of your time? And almost everybody raised their hand up. If I would have given up at three minutes, at 10 minutes, at 20 minutes, at 29 minutes, i gave up at 30 minutes. I could spend all of eternity just on that one verse because it points to a one who is so much grander, so much more glorious than we could ever imagine. So whether you're blowing Jesus off, or you've said quickly yes to him and you think that's all there is, he says come and just sit with me, dwell with me, follow me, explore the riches of who I am. This is just the beginning. So, Belair, I hope and I pray that we would be a church that would, that would sit with these things together. Jesus, he has come to sit with us. Let's pray to him. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your love, and as we turn to you In prayer and praise, Jesus, I I pray that you would continue to invite us to come and see. And once we come and see you, Jesus, that we would long for more, that we would be searching for more, and that we would find it in you. Jesus, we thank you that you are infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine. So, God, we thank you that you invite us to come to you just as we are, And we ask that you would inspire us and that your spirit would invite us to give all of ourselves to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.